Hopefully you saw in the program that this fall we're going to stay right here on this site and we have the school planning to stay here for the school year. We like this venue. We hope you do too. Um, we just forgot to tell you for sure we were going to be here. So that's, this is our location for now. And we're grateful for the Eau Claire Children's Theater and the opportunity we have here. Today we're going to start a new series. It's three weeks. It's from the book of Titus, Sound Doctrine, Sound Practice. Right after that, we're going to do a three-week series from Matthew chapter 13, Parables of the Kingdom of Heaven. Then in October, during the month of October, we're going to do a series rated PG-13 called Covert Affairs. And we like parents to know that if it's PG-13, you may want to be talking about your kids if things come up. It's going to be about David and Bathsheba. So uh, that will be PG-13. All right, today we start Sound Doctrine, Sound Practice. What an exciting title. I get up early for things like this. The need for leadership. When it comes to the Bible, many Christians only see bits and pieces. How long have you been a follower of Christ? How new are you to the Scriptures? If you've been around a long time, hopefully you've gained Knowledge and understanding of how the Bible fits together. What's the Old Testament? What's the New Testament? What's that all about? How does Jesus fit in? What is the church? How does that fit in? Um, Sometimes Christians only get the bits and pieces and they really don't see the big picture of how the scriptures hold together. Theology and doctrine provide the larger vision of the entire Bible, the big picture. Don't let those words scare you, theology and doctrine. Just say teaching or think teaching. What do the scriptures teach? In his book entitled The Social Animal, author David Brooks illustrates the need we have to see and understand the big picture. To illustrate this point, Brooks refers to an experiment experiment with a game of chess. How many people here like to play chess? Just a few people, okay. I used to like to play chess. Um... First, a series of highly skilled chess players or grandmasters, and then a series of non-chess players were shown a chessboard with chess pieces for five or ten seconds at each board. The grandmasters, the highly skilled chess players, could remember every piece on every board. How do you like that? The average chess players could only remember four or five pieces per board. Why did the highly skilled chess players have such an amazing ability to remember the chess pieces? It was not because of a higher IQ. None of them had a higher IQ. It was not because they had better memories. David Brooks concluded in his study that the grandmaster chess players saw the chess board so well because after many years of study, they saw the chess boards in a different way. When the average player saw the chess boards, they saw individual pieces. When the highly skilled group saw the boards, they saw patterns. They saw formations of chess pieces. Another way to say it, instead of seeing a bunch of letters on a page, they saw the words, the paragraphs, and the stories. David Brooks writes, Expertise is about forming internal connections so that little pieces of information turn into a bigger network, chunks of information. Learning is not merely about accumulating facts. It is internalizing the relationship between the pieces of information. For Christians, 
theology and doctrine are essential because they provide the big picture of scriptures. Theology and doctrine help us to see not only the individual pieces of information about the Bible, but they help us see the relationship of the parts to the whole. So today we're going to begin a three-week series from the book of Titus. Sound doctrine, sound practice. Titus was a man uh, discipled and mentored by the Apostle Paul. He was a missionary pastor. Titus is not mentioned in the book of Acts. He sometimes traveled with the Apostle Paul, and he was a co-worker with Paul for over 20 years. Faithful guy. He was often Paul's messenger and representative. The book of Titus is a letter written to Titus that it's also for us. It had instructions for Titus's ministry in the, on the island of Crete. The, the book of Titus was probably written about 63 or 64 A.D. Think in terms of 30 years after the resurrection of Christ. The church is new. Christianity is new. And uh, it spread rapidly, and with that comes viruses and problems and communication issues and uh, people wanting to change what God had said and to uh, change the gospel. And Titus was probably written, think in terms of after the book of Acts. So all the things in the book of Acts happen before Paul writes Titus. When Paul... Um, Ends in the book of Acts. He's in prison in Rome. We saw that last week. He, now he's out of prison. And uh, this is toward the end of Paul's ministry, the end of his life. Okay, verses 1 through 4. Leaders in the church must take responsibility. That's our first point. Please follow on your outline if you like to take notes. If you don't like to take notes, just stare. Just stare right here. Otherwise, if, if you look down, I'm going to think you're really smart and you're taking notes and you really like... Okay, leaders in the church must take responsibility. Verses 1 through 3, we meet a veteran leader. Let me read verses 1 through 3. Titus chapter 1. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ for the faith of God's elect and the knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness, a faith and knowledge resting on the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time, And at his appointed season, he brought his word to light through the preaching entrusted to me by command of God, our Savior. To Titus, my true son, in our common faith. So the veteran leader is Paul, Paul the Apostle. He's called a servant of God, first of all. It's an interesting word. It means bondservant. Uh, Paul is a voluntary bondservant. He's a slave for Christ by choice. That's what it means. He's a slave for Christ by choice. He has a master, and his master's name is Jesus. He's also an apostle of Christ. Paul was appointed by Jesus to take the gospel to the Gentiles, Acts chapter 9. He met Jesus in person. Remember, Paul was a Pharisee. He hated Christianity. He was persecuting the church. And he had an encounter uh, with Jesus firsthand. And God gave him a job. And he was to to represent Christ. And he was to take the gospel. And he was given authority. And he was given spiritual gifts. And the ability to do miracles and healings. 
so that the message of the gospel would be authenticated. He was an apostle of Christ. He was a man focused on faith and knowledge that leads to godliness. This is one thing that separates Christianity from a lot of religions. The purpose of the gospel and the purpose of the Christian life is to develop people into godliness. If that's not happening, Christianity is not there. Christianity is not active. Christianity is not alive. And so, you know, just a little... Some of you are still awake. Um, Are you moving toward godliness? Because that's what Christianity is all about. Are you growing as a follower of Christ? One of the ways I like to talk about it is, we say our mission is to help people connect with God and then to develop them into fully devoted followers of Christ. Fully devoted follower of Christ. Jesus said, teach them to obey everything I've commanded. So if you, uh, just on your own life, if if you did a scale of 0 to 10, and 10 is I'm, fully devoted, I'm a fully devoted follower of Christ, I've got it down, I'm almost in heaven, and 0 is I don't have a clue, where would you put yourself? 0 to 10, how would you mark yourself? So if you're like a 6, what, what do you need to do to become a 7? I think you know the answer. If you're a 6, what do you need to do to become a 7? If you're a 9, what do you need to do to become a 9.5? Maybe you're just a three. What do you need to do to become a four? We're all in a different place. It's okay. But let's be moving toward devotion to Christ. The Apostle Paul would call that godliness. Um, Paul, the Apostle Paul was an, a man who knew God. He knows God intimately, personally. Um, he trusts God, and he knows that God does not lie. Uh, he says... Uh, verse 2 of God's elect, that means Christians, those who are followers of Christ, whom God has uh, chosen to be followers of Christ, and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness in the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time. The Apostle Paul knew God and trusted him, and he got it, that God does not lie. That gives me a tremendous amount of encouragement when I come to the Scriptures. I believe it totally. The God that I serve... The God that I love does not lie ever. I can trust him. Bottom line, I can trust him every time. Paul knew that. It's a great encouragement. Walking with Christ every day, knowing he does not lie. I face difficult situations. Some things are hard to understand, but you know what? God does not lie. He's a man who understands the solid promises of God. He understands the hope of eternal life. By the way, the hope of eternal life is not a subjective hope where I just, if I I think about it long enough, I just hope it's true, I hope it's true, I hope it's true. No, it's an objective hope. It's not subjective. Subjective is right here in my head. This is an objective reality that exists apart from my head or your head. It's true. There is an eternal life that God has promised, and it's very, very real. And it's not just... You know, if I think about it hard enough, maybe I can see it. It's not what it is. It's objective. Okay, in verse uh, 4, we meet a new leader. To Titus, my true son, in our common faith, grace and peace from God, the Father, and Christ Jesus, our Savior. That's Paul's very common greeting when he greets the church. And this is to an individual, to Titus, his true son. Titus was led to Christ. This is not written in the Scriptures, but I believe Paul is saying here that 
as Titus being his true son, is that he led Titus to Christ. Paul is a Jewish man. Titus is a Gentile man, a non-Jewish man. And in his, on his ministry, the Apostle Paul met Titus, led him to Christ, discipled him, and mentored him. And now he is a leader. Um, Titus likely ended his ministry on the island of Crete uh, after the, Paul's death, uh, Titus traveled a little bit. He's going to be. Paul is saying, "I want you to go back to Crete right now. I want you to do this job for me. I want you to develop leaders. I want you to appoint leaders." And then uh, later, Titus will leave Crete. Titus will come back to the island of Crete and be the pastor there, or the bishop there, for thirty years. He will live well and end well as a follower of Christ. We meet Titus in Galatians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. This is Paul giving his uh, testimony. It's kind of his biography. And he's just telling his story. And this is part of, then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem. This is Paul as a brand new Christian. This time with Barnabas. I took Titus along also. So this is first 14, 15 years of Paul's ministry. Titus is already a believer, not mentioned in the book of Acts. I went in response to a revelation. So God stirred up Paul to go to Jerusalem and meeting privately with those esteemed as leaders. This is Paul's first major time in Jerusalem as after he became a Christian because they, they thought Paul was dangerous, that he was out killing Christians. So when he goes back to Jerusalem where the church got started, they don't know what to think of Paul. Is this guy real? I mean, is he an undercover agent? What's he going to do? So... Uh, I went in response to a revelation and meeting privately with those esteemed as leaders, people like Peter and James and John, as leaders, I presented to them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles, the one that Jesus gave him on the road to Damascus. Next slide. I wanted to be sure I was not running and had not been running my race in vain. So he presents the gospel to them. Is this the same thing? See, I I know God, this is what God wants us to do. And they affirm his message. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was Greek. So, like 14 years after the ascension, already people in Jerusalem are trying to say, you need to believe in Jesus to be saved, and you need to be circumcised. You've got to keep the law. It's just sort of like, let's just make sure here, we're going to keep a little bit of the Old Testament, a little bit of the New Testament, we're going to change things a little bit. That wasn't the gospel. They were called Judaizers, beginning to inf- infiltrate the church. Titus was pressured to be circumcised as the follower of Christ. He refused, rightfully so. Timothy was circumcised as a follower of Christ to be above reproach. He didn't have to be. had nothing to do with salvation. He did it so he could relate to Jewish Christians or Jewish people about the gospel. So it, it, wouldn't, it would never be an issue. He would be above reproach. Don't question me on this. It's already taken care of. That was, that was the whole thing. Okay. So uh, leaders in the church must be responsible. Paul took the responsibility to deal with the issues on the island of Crete. He took the responsibility to designate a leader and instruct a leader and prepare a leader to go there and to have a ministry. Secondly, leaders in the church must be qualified, verses 5 through 9. This is really important. Leaders in the church must be qualified. Leaders are crucial in identifying and selecting other leaders. We see this in verse 5. Here's what Paul says. The reason, Titus, I left you in Crete was that you may 
Put in order what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. Paul, the leader, instructs Titus, the leader, to appoint leaders. Um, Paul first passed through Crete in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 28, remember he had a shipwreck and he ends up on the island of Crete. But he didn't plant a church. He was under arrest when he went through. He went on to Rome, later he's released, and now sometime he's back at Crete. Now he's, leave, he's left, and he's left a letter for Titus. I, want you, I left you in Crete, Titus, so that you can put in order what was unfinished. There's work to be done there with the churches. It's more than one church. It's several churches on the island of Crete. And um, so that's his charge. He left Titus behind to bring some order and direction. So let's see the map. Let's just remind you with the map. Okay, this is uh, New Testament uh, geography right here. See Rome way off to the left? That's where Paul was in prison. That's where the, Roman, the center of the Roman Empire, where Caesar lived. Um, look down to the right, Jerusalem. That's where everything got started. And the Mediterranean world. And you can see uh, Colossae. Uh, that's where, we, when we went through the book of Colossians, you see to the left of that is Ephesus, the Ephesians. Up to the top is the Philippians and Philippi, Thessalonica, and Corinth. And then you see down there, in the middle of the Mediterranean, Crete. That's where Titus was. That was his job, was to minister to the churches in Crete. Uh, so, here's what he says. Leaders must develop godly character, verses 6 through 9. What kind of elders should Titus appoint? Well, they need to be men who have qualities, spiritual qualities. Because sound doctrine leads to sound practice. Titus... 1 verse 6, an elder must be blameless, faithful to his wife, a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. By the way, an elder is a man, according to this. It's also according to 1 Timothy chapter 3 verse 1. Uh, he must be blameless, faithful to his wife, a man whose children believe. First of all, he's blameless. This is really important because the bridge needs to have leaders like this. And you as a church are responsible to select leaders like this. First of all, he is to be above reproach. And by the way, you are to keep me accountable to be a man like this. If I'm to be a leader here, I must be a man like this. First of all, he's to be blameless. It does not mean perfect. It means uh, it's not a bunch, uh, there's, it means that there's not a bunch of question marks by this person's name. He's a man who is growing, who is maturing, uh, he's growing, grown up spiritually, he's a man who admits his mistakes quickly. He keeps short accounts with God and short accounts with people. Um, he, he's blameless, it's, it's above reproach, it it's kind of the summary of all that follows. It's kind of a summary statement. It starts here, and then Paul says, well, here's what I mean. He's the husband of one wife. He's a one-woman kind of man, a husband who has eyes for only for his wife. He doesn't have wandering eyes. He's deeply committed to one woman for life. So, what about divorce? Doesn't say. What about remarriage? Doesn't say. What about a widower who doesn't have a wife? Doesn't say. What about a single man? Doesn't say. It says 
He is a husband of one wife. One wife at a time, for sure. One wife, pretty much, is about all you can handle anyway for life. Um, A one-woman man, that's the key. What about somebody who's divorced? Well, there are some people who think it means you can only be married once, period. That's it. So if you've been married twice, you're out. I don't see the scriptures teaching that. I see it as teaching a one woman man. He has eyes and commitment for one woman. What if he's been divorced? Well, if it's in the past and there's not a lot of problems and questions surrounding that, maybe it was before he became a Christian, Uh, maybe she left him. There's a lot of circumstances. It just doesn't say. What does say is, is he in a situation now where he's mature enough and respected enough in the church that the church sees him as a one woman man. That takes a few years, by the way, for people to say, hey, you're, you're mature and you're a one-woman man. Um, husband of one wife. And it doesn't say, so can a single man? Yeah, I think it's possible. I think it's a lot harder today in our culture in America to be a single man and, and to be an elder, but yes, I think he could be. Um, He's a man who, uh, who has children who believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. This is not about perfect children. However, an elder should demonstrate the ability to lead in his home before he leads in the church. He needs to be able to lead his own family well. Um, good heavens, I've had kids that have wandered a little bit in their spiritual life. Um, a lot of things happen when kids grow up. However, have the parents, has the dad done his job and been a good father, a good husband, a good leader in his home? And um, kids can wander and come back. They can be prodigal. Um, and you can, have, you can have a six-year-old that just goes around screaming in the lobby I don't think that necessarily is what, if, but if it happens every week, I would probably wonder. But um, it's just not about, okay, disobeyed once, he's not qualified. But is this, is this, the, this the, the, the regular behavior of this leader? Does his children, they just, he just doesn't have his household in order. And I've had uh, elders through the years who've stepped off their role as an elder because they're going through a difficult time with their, their kids. And that's really a good thing. Just take some time away. Spend more time with your family. You're not a bad person. This is just your family's more important right now kind of thing. Um, Titus 1.7, since uh, an overseer manages God's household. After all of this list, uh, we begin verse 7. The, let me just say, the Greek word for elder is presbuteros. That means presbyter, presbyterian. That's a word for elder, a presbyter. I'm a presbyter. How do you feel about that? The Greek word for overseer is episkopos, episcopal, bishop. An elder is a bishop, and a bishop is an elder. And I am an elder and a bishop and a presbyter. That's just, it's just a leader in the church, that's all. It's not like bishops are way up here. It's just that these are what the New Testament calls these leaders. Paul uses these interchangeably about the elder, and then he calls him an overseer in verse 7. The church is an elder's stewardship. 
He's an overseer. He is to manage God's household. He is to manage the affairs of the church, the financial affairs of the church, discipline areas of the church, doctrinal issues of the church, personnel issues of the church. Verse 7, also, it says the second time, he must be blameless. And what does he mean? Not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. So, and first of all, an elder must not be overbearing. Uh, he's not to be bossy. So, one of your leaders is bossy. You straighten him out here and show him what the scripture says. Not controlling, not manipulating, not heavy-handed. That's not the role of a leader in the church. He's also not to be quick-tempered. He's not to have a short fuse. He is to be patient. He doesn't fly off the handle. He manages his anger in a healthy, God-honoring way. He's not to be quick-tempered. He's not to, given to drunkenness. He does not abuse alcohol. Does, it does not say total abstinence, by the way. Um, it doesn't say an elder is a teetotaler. However, some Christians choose to abstain from alcohol. That's really good. Be careful you don't make that a rule for everybody in following Christ. Um, wine was very common in the first century. as a very common beverage with a meal in the first century. And it certainly was a part of their communion. Um, Not only does he, he's not given to drunkenness, he's not violent, not a violent person. He's not violent at home, he's not violent in public or private. Um, he has self-control and self-discipline. Also, not pursuing dishonest gain. An elder is a man of honesty and integrity. He's not motivated to misuse money or to misrepresent it, uh, its use, and does not use people for financial advancement. I always get nervous when I see somebody in the church wanting to develop relationships in the church so they somehow can get money from those people in the church. I'm not talking about raising money to go to the mission field. <laughs> I'm talking about raising money for profit. Um, that's why it's not very wise to give out your phone directory and without putting some kind of caveat on it about not misusing that. So not pursuing dishonest gain. Titus 1.8. Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. One who is hospitable, a lover of strangers. In the New Testament, that's what that word meant. That's what it was about. In the New Testament times, they didn't have hotels. So if you traveled from city to city, what were you going to do? You'd end up staying at a bar with a, um, a red light, in a red light district, district, and that was your choice. However, if you were a Christian and you were traveling from one city to the next, you would want to find another Christian, a Christian home. Leaders were to be hospitable and welcome people who were traveling for a safe night uh, in their home. That's what hospitality was. Um, the leader sh should, um, his home should be open. Um, it, it's about having resources a generosity with resources uh, as it relates to what they have, their home. One who is hospitable. One who loves what is good. Just a general description, a value for good, not evil. What is right. Uh, it's about having pure motives, not impure motives. 
The next one is one who's self-controlled. This is a fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5.23. One who manages his own personal life well. One who's not controlled by emotions or passions, not controlled by lust or covetousness. One who is self-controlled. Next one is one who is upright, a righteous person, one who seeks to follow Christ. Not a perfect person, but one who's seeking to follow Christ. And when one who's following Christ falls down, they get back up. That's what one does when they follow Christ. Upright, one who does not have a secret life that dishonors God. One who cares for justice, upright, righteous. Also, uh, the last one here is one who is holy and disciplined. He's set apart to serve God. He understands that. My life is set apart to serve God. That's what it means to be holy, to be sanctified, set apart. One who seeks to walk with Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit. One who lives a disciplined life. One who trains to be more like Christ. Discipline. One who trains to be more like Christ. Titus verse. Chapter 1, verse 9, he must hold firmly to the trustworthy message, that's the gospel, as it has been taught, so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine. There it is, sound doctrine, and refute those who oppose it, because sound doctrine leads to sound practice. Sound doctrine is about healthy doctrine, that's what it means, whole, a wholeness. Healthy doctrine leads to healthy living, a wholesome living, spiritually. Um, so he holds firmly to the trustworthy message, and um, it's going to be extremely important. It's extremely important to the church to keep the gospel central to the church because if you leave the gospel alone, people grab a hold of it, and they begin to pull it to the side and, and put their spin on it. Pretty soon it changes a little bit. Pretty soon it's not even the gospel. And leaders of the church are to keep that central, keep, keep the gospel Central, keep the message accurate. Make it be biblical. Uh, he also is one who encourages others with sound doctrine and refutes those who oppose it. Um, he takes an active role in helping the church be biblically accurate. He takes a stand against false teaching in the church. He must know scripture well enough to refute inaccuracies. So every pastor, every elder should have these qualifications. So when we select elders in the future, these are the standards we look at. These are the standards we use when we chose our elders. So leaders in the church must take responsibility. Leaders in the church must be qualified. Number three, leaders in the church must protect the church from false teaching. This is why Paul instructed Titus, appoint elders, Titus, you need to go to these churches. You need to select qualified men so, that, so there can be organization and structure in the church so they can give the churches direction and so they can focus on sound teaching in the churches in, on the island of Crete. First of all, verse 10, uh, false teachers must not be given a platform in the church to spread false teaching. Here's what Paul writes. He says, For there are many rebellious people full of meaningless talk, and deception, especially those of the circumcision group. Circumcision group. Who were they? They were so-called Jewish Christians who said you need to believe and be circumcised to be saved. And that was a major problem in the early church. Uh, it was a Jewish focus. That's why they were called Judaizers. And Paul's pointing these people out to Titus. 
and um, take note of them. Verse 11, they must be silenced. Um, Not assassinated, but silenced. Not given a platform for their message. Because they are disrupting whole households by teaching things we ought not to teach. And, And that for the sake of dishonest gain. They have a motive of getting dishonest financial reward from it. So they must not be given opportunities up front, in groups. Uh, This is where leaders have to stand up and lead. This is not the place for tolerance. It's a place for let's stay biblical, let's stay focused, let's live the truth we are given. The great thing about Christianity, it's a revealed religion. It was revealed to us with the scriptures. We have the truth. We don't need more than this. We've been given the book. I grew up with the book in my house, and I didn't know what to do with it. I never read it. But this is, and it hasn't changed, and it won't change. And our job is to stay focused on the word. And false teachers um, were wanting to move the church into new areas. They were infiltrating homes. The only thing I could think of today, how, how it happens in America, is there are people who go door to door and they introduce themselves and say, hi, I'm such and such, and um, they're from cults. One common one is Jehovah's Witness. The other one is Mormons. And they sort of come across as Christian. They have Christian stuff and some Christian language, but they don't have the gospel. They don't have the doctrine of the Trinity. They don't have the doctrine of scriptures. They have more sources than just the Bible. And uh, they uh, influence entire households. Uh, So verses 12 through 14, false teachers who are genuine believers should be rebuked sharply. So if these are real believers, they should be rebuked sharply. And Paul quotes one of the prophets and philosophers of Crete. One of Crete's own prophets that said, Cretans are always liar, evil brutes, and lazy gluttons. You're always in trouble when you say always. But so he's not saying this. He's quoting one of theirs. So the Cretans have to refute their own favorite prophet because he's a very popular prophet. Uh, Not from God, by the way. And uh, verse 13, this saying is true. Paul had observed this. He didn't say... He doesn't mean that every one of them is that, but he's observed it in, on the island of Crete. Therefore, rebuke, rebuke them sharply so they will be sound in the faith. Get their attention. Are these, are these true believers? Well, then you need to get their attention right away. Get them focused on sound doctrine. Get them focused on the truth. Uh, verse 14, um, they're not sound in the faith. They will pay no attention to Jewish myths or to merely human commands of those who reject the truth. The Jewish myths were stories taken from the Old Testament and then had another spin or additional information, like stories of Daniel. We don't know a lot about Daniel other than the book of Daniel and a couple of other places. Well, there are some stories, myths developed around characters like that. And, and uh, that became a part of this religion, this religious perspective. By the way, the... There was a Greek word invented for the people who lived in Crete, and it was Cretazane, and it means to lie. And 
in Corinth, there was a word invented for them to Corinthianize, and it meant to be immoral. To, to, um, to Cretazane was to be to tell a lie. And it, it, it means to uh, play like the Crete. And all I'm saying is there was a reputation that this island had. So false teachers who are Christians must be rebuked. Uh, lastly, false teachers who are not genuine believers are unfit for ministry. Hang in there. We're just going to land the plane here shortly. Verse 15. To the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are corrupted and do not believe, nothing is pure. In fact, their minds are, and consciences are corrupted. For Paul, some false teachers in Crete were not true believers. Their minds and their consciences were corrupt. Verse 16, they claim to know God, but their actions, by their actions, they deny him. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. They profess to know God personally, but they are not genuine. They are not the real deal. They are disobedient. They are unfit for ministry. Uh, Jesus warned us about false teachers like that in Matthew chapter 7. He says, watch out for false prophets. This is exactly what the Apostle Paul was dealing with on the island of Crete, and he was trying to help Titus with. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing. They look like sheep. They talk like sheep. They, they act like Christians. They come across like Christians. But inwardly, are, they are ferocious wolves. They aren't the real deal. By their fruit, you will recognize them. By their lifestyles. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? No way. From grapevines, you get grapes, and from you expect uh, figs to come from figs tree. Let's let's go on to the next slide. Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit. Yeah, we like that. But a bad tree bears bad fruit. Okay, a good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruits you will recognize them. By their lifestyle, you will recognize genuine teachers of Scripture. Do they live what they teach? Next slide. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? So giving a prophecy is not good enough to prove that you're a Christian. Did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name, drive out demons. So casting out demons is not proof. Next slide. Then I would tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. And this was what Paul was concerned about for the church in the island of Crete. Um, And this is just a great reminder here. You know, one day... You and I will stand before our judge, and his name is Jesus. And we might be very surprised who we find in heaven, and we might be very surprised who's not there. Um, So leaders are important. If leaders are healthy spiritually and growing, the church can thrive. If leaders are healthy, the church can be healthy. You know what? If leaders are not healthy, the church is not going to be healthy very long okay let's stand together and pray we started in the book of Titus next week we're going to look at chapter 2 please stand and let's pray father thank you uh, for the book of Titus 
and uh, the reminder to focus on sound teaching. Thank you for leadership. Thank you for our leaders. Thank you that they are men who care about walking with you and continuing to grow and follow Christ. God, may you enable us to do that together. May you enable us as a church to thrive, to continue to grow, to continue to reach out and share the gospel that you've given to us. That we might help people connect with God and that we might help people develop into fully devoted followers of Christ. And as we do that, that each one of us will continue to grow as a fully devoted follower of Christ. For Jesus' sake, amen.